The following message is a presentation from Grace Baptist Church in Kettering, Ohio. Luke chapter number 24, and I'd encourage you to follow along in your guide. And uh, let's allow the Lord to teach us. Can you imagine having a conversation with the resurrected uh, Lord Jesus Christ? Walking with him, uh, walking with him in a, a journey. Can you imagine having him with you in the seat uh, beside you in the car? And be able to talk with him and allow him to open up the word of God to you? What an amazing experience that God has placed in his word for us this morning. These two disciples were just like you and I. These aren't super Christians. These are regular people who have believed in Jesus Christ, but they're struggling in their faith. They had some misconceptions about what Jesus was going to do and how he was going to work. And he comes to them in the midst of those misconceptions that had made them very, very burdened and very, very down in those days. In the day after, in the, in the hours after his bodily resurrection that they did not know about. And maybe you can identify with them in that. Sometimes you get going in your Christian life and you realize that God has provided something and you don't know about it yet and find about it after the fact and realize that you kind of existed in gloom and you existed with a burden and with sadness because you didn't believe what the Word of God had already told you and you realize it after the fact, oh, I should have just believed it. I should have just uh, taken God at his word. I should have just understood it. Notice in verse number 13 with me that they had a very gloomy conversation that was going on on the way to Emmaus. How many of you have been in, in, a, in a car ride or in a, uh, in a conversation where you're just rehashing and rehashing the day's events or a, a problem that you've experienced? How many of you can identify with these guys that are just hashing and rehashing and hashing it again, all right? You, you just mash that thing like mashed potatoes. You know, you just talk about it and talk about it, and it seems like the problem just grows, and you make more assumptions, and the gloom comes in, the clouds stay overhead. That's exactly what was going on in this. Notice in verse number 13, they communed together. They, they talked about these things all the way. And I want you to notice the, the disciples' burden here. Here are two disciples. It wasn't the disciples, the 12. It wasn't the other 11. In fact, we don't know who these two disciples are except for we do have this name Cleopas, but we don't know uh, really anything about him. We, we also don't know whether he was accompanied by another man or maybe he was accompanied by his, by his wife. We, we, don't, we don't totally know all that, uh, the identity of these folks, but there were two people who would believe in Jesus Christ. That's what's important. There are two people like you and I that were traveling uh, onto this road uh, over to Emmaus that same day on Sunday. Now, notice there's this three score furlongs. What's that? You say, I don't know what that is. All right, it's about seven miles. How many of you like uh, taking a seven mile walk? Well, they were doing it. And they were walking seven miles, and they had all this time to talk about the events that had surrounded the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. They carried on this conversation. The idea is they just kept on talking about it and kept on talking about it. And they were talking about all that had happened. Happenstance. All that had happened in Jerusalem uh, throughout those last several days. And they talked about all that was outside of their control. Notice what they, they talked about is about how the chief priests and the Pharisees took Jesus and crucified him. Do you realize this was a mob run on Jesus Christ? You remember that whole crowd that was shouting out, crucify him, crucify him. This got up to Pilate. This got up to Herod. This was way outside of their control. How many of you feel like right now in our world, uh, things are outside of your control? And how many times are you like the disciples uh, in getting involved in gloomy conversations about things that you cannot do anything about? Are you with me this morning? Yeah? So you can identify a little bit. Though this was a person that they loved, they followed, they heard teach, 
They were involved in talking about all the different things that they could not control. And in fact, in the next verse, we find that they communed. They carried on this conversation. They reasoned it out. They discussed it. They hashed it from every available um, angle. They were just going after it and talking about it. And uh, we're not painting them out bad. This is, this is human nature. You understand it? And we identify. We, we can identify with this. And we can identify with this even this week, whether it's problems in our country, whether it's problems in our world, or whether it's problems in your workplace or in your family or in your relationships. We know exactly what they were facing and this this burden that they had in their heart. We can identify with that. And oftentimes we make conversations about things we cannot control. And we hash those things. And you know, it doesn't ever help uh, lift the burden, does it? It really doesn't help us uh, feel any more relieved or feel, uh, feel uh, lightened in our, in our spirit. It doesn't reduce the stress, but they hashed it over and over. But I want you to notice in verse number uh, 15, notice, as they communed, as they reasoned, Jesus drew near. Does that word strike you? Jesus drew near. Let's look at verse number 15 together. Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Say that with me. Jesus himself drew near and went with them. How many times uh, do you feel the need for Jesus to draw near to you in your moment of gloominess, in your moment of burden? they, They certainly needed Jesus. And I don't know about you, there's times where I need Jesus to show up and, and, and enter into my life, to, to speak into my life things that would help me get beyond the gloom, get me beyond the burden. They needed Jesus, and he did. Now, they, he did not, they did not notice who Jesus was. In fact, it says that their eyes were holden. They were kept by God. God had restrained them from seeing Jesus. In fact, over in Mark 16 and verse number 12, there's two verses over in this gospel uh, that, that give us just a little bit more insight about this interaction. In Mark 16 and verse number 12, it tells us that after he had appeared in another form unto two of them as they walked and went into the country. And so uh, he actually just, he appeared differently to them. I don't know what all that means, but God did not want them at that point to know who Jesus was as the resurrected Lord. And so he wanted to deal with them and wanted to speak truth into their lives and, and in this way. And so he held, he withheld their understanding. And throughout these 40 days, as we've gone through these different messages, we've seen that Jesus is going to enter, up, enter into people's lives at different moments according to their need and minister to them, which gives me a lot of hope for me. Because Jesus at different times along in my life is going to enter into my life through his word, through the fellowship of, of, of his body, uh, through his spirit, and he's going to enter into my life, and he's going to meet me in that moment of need as I, as I need him. This isn't about making on God something for, for me, but that's who Jesus is. Jesus is that kind of Savior. He loves us. He cares for us, and he will enter into your moment. One author said it this way, throughout these 40 days, each appearance was naturally made in such a way to fit the time, the place, and the person's concerned. In the present instance, Jesus must have appeared as just another traveler walking along with them. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Jesus, by your side, walking along with you. And I don't know about you, I need that. I need that. The Bible says in Psalm 34, 18, The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart, and saveth such 
as be of a contrite spirit. Oftentimes we think of that passage of scripture uh, uh, for those that need to get right with the Lord and, and, and the Lord is nigh. He comes near to those that, that d- are disgusted by their own sin and are ready to be right with the Lord, ready to confess. But you know that verse really has a lot to do with those that are broken in their heart, who have been crushed under life's load, who have been hurt and have been, um, been torn apart in their, in their own spirit. He says the Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart. He's nigh. He's nigh unto you when you are of a crushed spirit. When you can't go on, you don't feel like there's any other solution. You don't feel like there's anywhere you can turn. The Lord is nigh. And I see that right here in the road to Emmaus. These folks that are crushed by the burden of, where's Jesus? Where's our Lord? Where's our master? Where has he gone? Uh, Jesus is nigh unto them. And that's just a wonderful and beautiful picture of our Lord. And you know, he's the same Lord today. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Just because we don't live in, in the day when the Bible's still being recorded doesn't mean Jesus doesn't act in the same way toward us. And you know how he does that most often? By his spirit through his word, getting close to us. And his spirit witnesses with our spirit that we belong to him and that we are his child and that we have a glorious hope coming uh, when he will call us home to be with him at the rapture. And so Jesus is always near to those that are of a broken heart. Do you have a broken heart today? You crushed in your spirit. You feel a little bit down. You know, Jesus is near to you. That's not just motivational talking. That's the Bible. Jesus is near, and he's given us today, when you're feeling that way, he's given us a passage of scripture to look at that we planned weeks ago. Uh, He's given us a passage of scripture to look at that will help you to realize that's the type of Jesus you can expect him to be. Jesus is near to you and your burdens. Um, if you would, and if you don't have the notes in front of you, you can turn over to uh, Isaiah chapter 43. Isaiah 43, and, and maybe mark this in your Bible as a passage to go back to for encouragement along the way. The Bible says in Isaiah 43 in verse number one, but thus, but now thus saith the Lord that created thee. Okay, uh, this is pretty important. When the Lord that created thee has something to say to you. O Jacob, and he that formed thee, O Israel, Fear not, for I have redeemed thee. I have called thee by thy name. Thou art mine. When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. When, uh, when through the rivers, they shall not over, uh, overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned. Neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. For I am the Lord thy God, the Holy One of Israel, thy Savior. I gave Egypt for thy ransom, Ethiopia and Siva for thee. Since thou wast precious in my sight, thou hast been honorable. I have loved thee. Therefore will I give men for thee and people for thy life. Fear not, for I am with thee. I will bring thy seed from east and gather thee from the west. That promise was given to Israel. That, that, that's a revelation to Israel. But I'm telling you, we serve the same God this morning. And the same God that said that to Israel is the same God that Matthew 28, before he leaves... Jesus tells us, hey, I have a mission for you to do. I want you to be a a witness for me to the whole entire world. And by the way, everywhere you go and through everything that you do, I want you to remember this. Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. Amen. That's our God. That's our God. He's always with us. He's near to us, just like he was near to these disciples there on the road to Emmaus. But I want you to notice that he doesn't just leave them, oh, big deal, they're gloomy. Now, he doesn't leave them there. Jesus in our life does not, does not leave us in our gloominess and our burdens. 
He intends to carry those burdens. He intends to help us through them. And notice what happens in verse number 17. Jesus immediately asks them a question. How many of you have been questioned by the word of God before? Yeah, it kind of probes, it kind of digs, it kind of sometimes convicts and makes us a little uncomfortable. He asks some questions. On what manner is these communications that are these that you have with one to another as you walk and are sad? What in the world are you talking about? Why in the world are you so sad? Is his question. Why are you sad? You know, last week we, uh, we saw Mary get asked by the angel and by Jesus, why are you weeping? Here these disciples are asked, why are you sad? Why are you sad? I ask you this morning, why are you sad? Why are you burdened? Why are you discouraged? Why are you down in your heart? Why are you gloomy this morning? Why are you sad? This idea of sad was to be characterized by a dark countenance. You know what? You can look at people and see sadness. You can see a lot of sadness. I'll say more about it in, uh, in uh, time to come, but I, I mentioned to you last Sunday night, I was taking a trip to meet with some pastors up in, in Washington, D.C. It was a great, uh, great meeting, and I appreciate what the Lord taught me. I look forward to sharing more with you along the way about that. But one thing I noticed on the streets of Washington, D.C. is sadness even greater than I see it here. And how many times in that city, which I, 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 I sense that a spirit of a, a, a wicked spirit has come over, over that place. And I don't know how to describe it other than that. It is, it is something else. But I've rarely been in a place in the United States where people won't look at you in the eyes. And over and over as I walk down the streets, good morning, morning, just looking away, sadness, just overcoming people. And I understand that that's happening in different, different cities. That's not unique to Washington, D.C., but it struck me there. It struck me in a very interesting way. All the sadness, that dark countenance. You can tell when someone at work is sad. You can tell when your children are sad. You can tell when your spouse is sad. Why? That countenance. Your face says a lot about us. It's why when we give worship to the Lord and we, we sing together, oh, how it ought to brighten our faces even. Oh, how it ought to change us when we get in the presence of the Lord. He ought to put a smile on our face, but here these guys are, are sad. Look at verse number 18, and one of them, Cleopas, after Jesus asked, why are you sad? Answered him, said, are you a stranger? Are you out of touch? Haven't you listened to the news? Haven't you heard what's going on in Jerusalem? Didn't you know about Jesus? Why are you sad? You ask us why you're sad. Are, are you a stranger? Aren't you from around here is what they're asking. And the reason they gave for why they were sad is because there's been some circumstances that are out of our control that have come to pass. The circumstances are why we're sad. You know, we do the same exact thing. We do the same exact thing. We walk around with sullen faces and, and gloomy hearts. We think that it's all the circumstances around us that is causing the sadness. And you know what? If we were to be asked, why are you sad? We would say, well, because of this person or because of that thing at work or because I, I didn't get the raise that I thought I should get. And we start naming off the circumstances just like they. Don't we? Are you with me this morning? Yeah, we do. We start naming off the circumstances. Now, what does Jesus do? He asks a second question. What things? Like he didn't know, but they didn't know who he was. Uh, what things? And isn't it amazing how Jesus probes along and, and gets them to talking? And by the way, as he's doing this, he's getting them to talk out what's going on in their heart, which is very, very good. 
And by the way, it's a, it's a great way to help other people in, uh, in our lives as um, fellow believers onto uh, one another to help just ask questions and let them talk and let it get out. And so Jesus is uh, practicing that. What made you sad? What things? Tell me about this. Tell me a little bit more. And uh, they, they began to go in this whole thing. It was, well, it's about Jesus of Nazareth and the chief priests and our rulers. Our rulers uh, took him and they've, they've crucified him and, and uh, they, they've put him on the cross. He's dead. And, 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 and what's even greater than that, we trusted. We trusted that this was a person that was going to liberate us. And that's exactly what that word uh, uh, trusted is. The idea that we had this expectation. It's not belief in Jesus that, that he is the savior of all the world. This is we had expectation. We had a hope that he would liberate us, that he would redeem us. This is not talking about redeeming from sins. This is talking about liberating, a physical liberation. We trusted, we expected that he would liberate us. And you know what? Beside all that, to add the cherry on top of the cake, on the, the ice cream sundae, to put, put, um, put the, the final topping on, this is the third day. We heard news that he would rise on the third day, and that isn't even coming true. You ever been in one of those conversations where it just keeps on building and building and building and building, right? And you just keep on adding, and to top it all off, and you put it there. That's exactly what this is. And to top it all off, this is the third day, this is Sunday, and we haven't seen them yet. You know, they were down. And I understand. Uh, these, uh, these folks had spent time. They came from being with the 11. They had spent time near Jesus. This was difficult. This was outside of their control. And Jesus asked, what made you sad? They go on to say, listen, there were some women that saw a vision of angels. They heard that he was alive, but we haven't seen it yet. We haven't seen it yet. And they were just like a Thomas, uh, until they saw, they were, they're not going to believe, and I, I partly can identify with that, but it's the reality of what's going on in their life. We haven't seen it yet, and so that's what's making us sad. He asked, what makes you sad? And you know what? Their answer to this question that Jesus had, what things? Unfulfilled expectations. Unfulfilled expectations is why we're sad. Unfulfilled expectations, what is making us sad right now? And we can all identify with that. Uh, listen, when hope is deferred, it makes the heart sick. That's a proverb in the book of Proverbs. But what that means is when, when, when our expectations are set aside, it makes our heart sick. Well, how many of you can identify with, with, with that in your life where expectations have been broken and it makes your heart sick? Sick. I can well, I was expecting this would be the way it'd be. Sometimes you, you go into uh, a job, you expect it to be this way, and you find out it's very different. They promised you the world, and they gave you a little city. You know, like they didn't give you much at all. Uh, it, it makes the heart sick. That's what's going on in their lives. Unfulfilled expectations. They killed Jesus. We expected that he would redeem us, that he would liberate us, but he didn't, and he isn't even risen from the dead like we heard, uh, heard that uh, he would be on the third day. And so... They expected this physical liberation. Jesus was actually securing a much greater and a more impactful spiritual liberation for them, and yet they were still sad because they, they hadn't believed everything that Jesus had said. And you know, I find in our sadness, in, our, in the midst of our struggles and our burdens and our gloominess, that it's often not the, not the trial that's causing the sadness as much as it is our issue with trusting the word of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And as often we look at the circumstances, the trial itself, rather than realizing if I would simply trust the good hand of the Lord and the, the promise of the Lord to constantly be with me, there would be happiness that I could experience even through the midst of the trial. True happiness is found in trusting in the Lord, not in our expectations being met. I'm finding Psalm 14, verse number 4, blessed, happy is the man, is what that word blessed means there. Happy is the man that maketh the Lord his trust. That maketh Jehovah, the self-existent one, the one who does not need us to exist. Happy is the man that makes him his trust. And sometimes we trust in the Lord meeting our expectations. And it's not about that. You're going to come down, crashing down over and over as, as soon as God doesn't work in the way that you expect him to work. But when you make the Lord himself your expectation and the Lord himself your trust, it makes all the difference in the world and you can go right through the midst of trials and right through the midst of burdens and right through the midst of gloominess and find peace and contentment and, and satisfaction and yes, even joy. These disciples are just like us. I cannot get away from that. We do not, we do not, we do not criticize them. They're just like us. We get in the same situations. So what does Jesus do? Well, I guess you'll just have to stay gloomy. And what does he do? Look at verse number 25 with me. We read that together, and I had you read that on purpose, because sometimes in order to get from our gloominess to some joy, to some peace and rest and satisfaction, Jesus has to confront us. Now, I don't know about you. I read that, and I, I stiffen a little bit. No, come on. Don't you? I mean... I don't, I, don't, I don't care what culture it is, but anytime someone's called a fool and slow of heart, that's a little, that's, that's a little strong. Do you understand what I'm saying? Hey, do you hear me? Uh, he says, oh, fools. He doesn't call them by their first name, oh, fools, and slow of heart. Now, we can understand that the baseline is love. We can understand that that is our Savior. But his love is not to leave us in our gloominess. His love is to help us through it. And so he's going to help them out, and he's going to rebuke their unbelief. This is a rebuke. Oh, fools and slow of heart. Fools is, means mindless. That's the idea of this, this word. You are mindlessly going through this day. You're mindlessly approaching this. You're not even stopping to think, friends. My, my disciples, you're not stopping to think. And I can identify with them many times in my life where I haven't stopped and thought about what God has provided me. I haven't thought about who Jesus is in comparison to world leaders. I haven't thought about his presence. And so I exist with gloominess, and I think you can identify with me. They had not thought, and we can identify with them. They were slow of heart. They were dull. They were slow to learn, to understand, to react, to, to intelligently reason through this and think through this according to the word of God. He says, you're slow of heart to believe. Uh, you've had some expectations, you've trusted, but it's some misplaced expectations. You've been slow of heart to believe, to accept as true what God had said through his prophets in the Old Testament, through the word of God. 
You have failed to believe this. And friends, do we not remember in our lives we fear when we fail to take Jesus at his word like we learned in the first Sunday of this year. But you can put anything in there. We're gloomy when we fail to take Jesus at his word. We're depressed when we fail to take Jesus at his word. We find ourselves sad when we fail to take Jesus at his word. And that's exactly what's going on here. And this rebuke would be a defining moment in their spiritual journey. Not just in this physical journey but their spiritual journey. In fact, I was thinking about this. Defining moments like these, because this is the, the turning point for them. This defining moment, like they were having right at this moment, they're rarely, they're rarely delightful. They're most often difficult and uncomfortable. You with me on that? How many of you had a defining moment in your spiritual journey that was, that, that was needed, but yet it was difficult? And I, I, I look at them a, 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 as two disciples like you and me who Jesus is rebuking for their unbelief. And, and unbelief, remember what the book says, Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 6. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Impossible. So Jesus had to rebuke it. Uh, they were never going to find joy in their journey if they did not uh, come to grips with their unbelief from the word of God. In fact, if Jesus had simply said, well, I'm here now, it wouldn't have helped them in the sense of for um, future lessons and future difficulties that they would go through. They needed to learn this lesson just as Jesus was teaching it right now, learning that they had had unbelief and it was causing them to um, go about their life in a gloomy, a gloomy way. Now, I find in Hebrews 12 and verse 11, now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby, unto them that experienced it. When Jesus shows up and he rebukes me through his word or by his spirit, he convicts me of something that I've been thinking or not been thinking through. Do you know that Jesus says that, boy, it's not pleasant now, but it's pleasant when you start enjoying the, um, the peaceable fruit of righteousness, when peace floods your soul, when you get rid of that unbelief and you begin to be able to go forward in your spiritual journey in a way that pleases God, in a way that is rewarded of God. And so uh, I, I say, and I, I, I have to say in my own heart right, right now, Lord, uh, in those moments where I have to be rebuked for my unbelief, Lord, would you help me to respond in the right way? And they, they did. But notice what Jesus does. He doesn't stop there. He doesn't just rebuke. Remember this. Uh, actually, I want you to turn over to 2 Timothy chapter number 3 and verse number 16. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 16. Because the Bible helps us to see something here about this matter of Jesus confronting and uh, do you understand that the Bible says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Aren't you thankful this morning that in front of you, you hold, whether in electronic form or whether in a printed form, you hold the Word of God this morning, and this is Jesus Christ revealed to you and me. What an amazing thing we have today. What an amazing treasure we have. Look at verse number 16, and let's read it out loud together. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. You know what Jesus does? Jesus here, he rebukes them, he reproves them. Hey, hey guys, this is wrong. You've been wrong for not believing. You've been wrong. In fact, because you're wrong for not believing, you've been existing in some gloominess even on this day that is the most glorious and triumphant day in all of human history, the day that Jesus rose from the dead. But do you know that Jesus goes on 
to reveal himself and to give them instruction in righteousness, to give them instruction for how they need to think going forward. And he reveals himself in verse 27 through 31. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, notice he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. You say, well, I thought the, only the New Testament was about Jesus. No, the whole Bible's about Jesus, friends. The whole entire thing. And in fact, I've put in your notes just a sampling of different verses that, uh, that are focused on the Lord Jesus Christ. Genesis 3.15, the very first promise that Jesus would come into the world as, as the seed of a woman, and he would bruise the head of the serpent, and the serpent would bruise his heel. One being a lethal blow. <laughs> Our Jesus would land a lethal blow upon Satan. What an amazing prophecy that was in genesis 3 for, on verse 15 and you know what as they got close to emmaus jesus acted like he would go on further but they constrained him to keep talking about the scriptures and keep revealing himself uh, to unto them hundreds of times throughout the old testament we find that jesus has prophesied and often throughout the gospels we see as it is written as it was written, and this was done that it might be fulfilled as it is written, and over and over and over again, Jesus is revealed in the, on the New Testament as the one fulfilling all the prophecies of the Old Testament. We find over in Numbers 21 and verse number 9 that Moses, when the people were bitten by poisonous snakes, Jesus, uh, God told Moses, I want you to fashion a brazen serpent. I want you to put it up on a pole and everyone that looks on that serpent will be healed. And looking forward to the day that Jesus Christ would um, be lifted up on the cross and everyone who believes on Jesus Christ would be healed of the, a, greater, a greater danger and that being the, uh, the sin that, uh, that is going to bring us into condemnation before, before God. All that would look and believe would be healed, would be saved. Uh, Daniel 9.26, the Bible tells us that Jesus, the Messiah, would be cut off. It actually gives us a timeline there. Uh, Isaiah 53 and verse number 5 through 6, it tells us that he'd be wounded for our transgressions. It would be a substitutionary sacrifice that he would make on our behalf. We, like sheep, were gone astray, but he would take our punishment for us. Psalm 22 and verse number 1 uh, uh, reminds us or prophesies what Jesus on the cross would, would say. He would be separated from God. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Job 19 and verse 25, I know that my Redeemer lives and that he'll stand at the last day. What a, what a promise that is. Psalm 16 verse 9 tells us that he would not see corruption in the grave. He would only be in there three days and three nights, and then he would uh, uh, triumphantly rise from the dead. Luke 24 and verse 44, a little later on in this passage of Scripture, these things, Jesus said, these are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. One author says it this way, beginning at Genesis and continuing through all the books of the prophets, the Lord reviewed all the scriptures which referred to himself the messiah it was a wonderful bible study and how we would love to have been with them then wouldn't you love to be in a bible study with jesus christ well they got to uh, i i don't want to sidetrack you this morning but i do want you to know about a resource that that blessed me several years ago i put the link in your in your notes this morning it's called the scarlet thread of redemption by adrian rogers and it simply takes the, the Old Testament prophecies and, and shows the fulfillment 
uh, of them in the New Testament. And it shows the scarlet thread of Jesus Christ running all the way through the Bible. Such a wonderful thing. And I find people oftentimes are confused about what the Bible is. Well, I like that New Testament, but I don't like the Old Testament. Listen, it all points to Jesus, all of it. It's one book with one main character, and his name is Jesus Christ. And they got the fellowship with him. That's the amazing thing. They got the fellowship with him on that day. The Bible says there in verse number 30 of our passage, and it came to pass, he sat down to meet with them. How would you like to have eaten with Jesus? We, we're going to get to. But they sat down. And did you notice what he did? He took bread. What did he do next? He blessed it. He blessed it. Do you know, friends, the reason that we give thanks to God before we eat, the reason that we bow our heads in prayer is not for some religious tradition. It's because Jesus taught us to thank our Heavenly Father for it because he's the giver of all good things. And so he sits down and he spends that time with, with his disciples. He fellowships with them. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 1 and verse number 9, God is faithful by whom ye were called unto fellowship, the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. I'm thankful we're called the fellowship. Uh, we're not saved and God doesn't just push us over to the side and, and say, you know, uh, finish out your Christian life here on earth, you know, apart from me. No, he's called us into fellowship. And you know part of that fellowship we experience right here within the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is his body. And we are created for fellowship. What did the first, what did the first church teach us to do in Acts 2 and verse 41 and 42? They were, they gladly received the word, they were baptized, they were added to the church, and then they continued steadfastly in what? The apostles' doctrine? Fellowship. The breaking of bread and prayer. Fellowship. You know how important fellowship is? You say, well, what's fellowship, Pastor? Fellowship is simply the participation together in an activity. We're fellowshipping right now around the Word of God. Our hearts are united by the Holy Spirit. We're fellowshipping around the Word of God. We fellowship in prayer. In class, we had a wonderful time of just laughing and, and sharing together in class this morning about things that pertain to our lives that we can fellowship and have a godly perspective on. We, we finished up with discussing some things uh, that we could fellowship together and say, this is what God does in my life. This is where I fall short. This is where, uh, this is where I know I need to be. And uh, fellowshipping together in that way. Friends, we need this, but oh, how we need it with Him. Do you fellowship with Him? They got to on that day and changed everything about their life. They fellowshiped with Jesus. These disciples, like us, were very gloomy. And uh, I, I think that we have the temptation in this day of any day where we, we sense the winds of change all around us to be very gloomy. As we mentioned last week, the world does not need us to be gloomy. They don't need us at work tomorrow morning gloomy. And I know, I, I feel it just like you do, we, 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 we feel pressed into that. It's so easy to get into that. It's so easy to go into work or go out into the public feeling the, the gloominess brought on, brought on, or as we think brought on by, by a relationship or a financial struggle or something. We go and we're, we're gloomy. God wants to change that in your life. And you know, he's going to have to address some unbelief. He's going to have to address some areas that he's already given you in his word that give the answer to it, and you said, I don't believe that, I don't take that. I, I'm not going to think that way. He's going to have to address that. And then he's going to help you. 
He's going to help you be beyond because notice what happens in verses 32 through 35. After Jesus finished expounding, opening up, here it is. Here's what I meant here. Here's what the word of God meant. This is what Isaiah was meaning when he said this. After he'd expounded all that, their heart began to rejoice. I experienced this, and I'm sure you can, you can give the, the same illustration at different times in your life. Uh, I was working along my front yard, and I was listening to some scripture, and there was a verse in, in the book of John that just ignited my heart in that moment. It was like, oh, and you, you literally, in your spirit, feel a lift. Praise the Lord. I needed that right there. That says something about my Jesus that, that touches my heart right now. And I needed that. And so see what happens after he's expounded. Notice this glorious celebration in verse number 32. And they said one to another, did not our heart burn within us? Did not our heart? We don't use that language perhaps, but we might, we might say, wow, that was amazing when he was talking with us. That just really touched my heart. And we might say it that way. That touched my heart. That helped me. Their hearts were ignited. The word burn is to emotionally just well up, to feel strong emotion. Well, that touches me. Maybe for you it comes out in tears. Maybe it doesn't happen that way, but it touches. You know what touches your heart. Boy, I needed that. I needed that. And so there was a glorious celebration here among these, uh, between these two disciples as they just began to talk but this, this is amazing. This happened, and my heart is refreshed. My heart is renewed as he showed himself to us, and that's exactly what he did. At the right time, Jesus said, I'm here. And at the right time in our lives, he says, I'm here, and, I, and this is my word that I've been speaking, and you believe it, follow me. I'm with you. I'm not leaving you alone. I always make good on my promises, and the Bible says here that their hearts burned, welled up with emotion, this is something that God gave them. It wasn't active. They didn't just choose, well, I'm going to let this well, you know, well up within me. No, it came on them. God did this. Jesus did this for them. And I don't know about you, but I can, I can say I need Jesus to do that for me every day. I need him to take his word and cause my heart to burn every day. Maybe you get a little discouraged about reading your Bible. Could I just encourage you in this way? Don't get so focused on making it a ritual and a checklist. Read till your heart burns. Read until Jesus touches your heart. And then camp out there. Chew on that. Enjoy that. Stop, stop trying to make this a checklist, you know, something I have to do because I'm a Christian and I have to go to church. Do it so that Jesus can touch your heart and allow it to burn and well up within you. What an amazing Jesus this is. And he's our Jesus. He's the same. I find that this burned, burning of heart, this, this, this emotion that was welling up within them, it was the same thing that in Acts 13 and verse 42 caused the Gentiles to say to Paul and Barnabas, would you come back the next Sunday and would you preach Jesus Christ to us again? Would you talk to us again about him? Well, certainly. What an amazing thing. Uh, over in Acts 20 and verse number 7, on, upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow, and continued his speech until what? Do you remember? Midnight. Midnight. Why in the world did that congregation stay there? He's speaking about Jesus. Their hearts were touched. 
We want more. We, Paul's on his way tomorrow. We, we want to hear more. We want to be, uh, allow God's word to be entering into our hearts. Their hearts were ignited with the word of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you and I have that exact same uh, opportunity, that exact same access in this, the word, to allow Jesus to ignite our hearts with his word and with who he is and to reveal himself to us as he did to these two on the road to Emmaus. But notice in verse number 33 that these guys did not stay there. Well, that was good. Amen. All right, now let's go to bed. No. That same night, that same night, they got up, left that, that home, and they walked back to Jerusalem. Now, that's amazing for a couple different reasons. They had already walked seven miles that day, right? How many of you try to walk seven miles in a day? Anyone, anyone try to do five? And there's some back here, all right. But if you're not used to that, maybe I guess they're probably more used to it than we are today, for certain. But you know, that's, that's, that's quite, a little, it's quite a little walk. But to do it twice, and then to do it at night, in that day, without the help of streetlights, without the help of perhaps law enforcement on the, the streets keeping them safe, they're subjected to robbers, and so on, on these, on these streets. Do you understand that these guys were so excited, their hearts were so ignited, that their ministry was inspired? They ran back to the 11 that had gathered together and others that had gathered with them to tell them that they had seen the resurrected Christ. And here's, friends, what we need to understand, that when we meet with Jesus and when we fellowship with Jesus, it's very hard to keep it quiet. Sometimes we, we wonder and we think about our witness, and I, I want to force my witness. If we fellowship with Jesus Christ, it's not hard to witness and to share it with others. You know, when our hearts are overflowing, it kind of comes out in those different moments. In the, in the normal moments of life, as you're sitting down next to somebody in the doctor's office, and they say, boy, I, I, I just don't know what I'm going to do after, after I get this test result. I'm so afraid that it's going to be cancer. But what an opportunity. And because I'm fellowshiping with Jesus, I can share with them what Jesus is to me and what he can be to them. You understand that, that so often as, as the Lord will ignite our hearts, it is that which fuels our ministry to others. And so they ran back to Jerusalem and they returned in order to encourage, to bring courage to the other disciples. And I, I wonder this morning if, if some of the reason we, we struggle with, with ministering to one another is because we haven't been fellowshipping with Jesus Christ as we ought to. And so I ask myself and I pray to the Lord, Lord, would you meet with me? Would you fellowship with me in your word? Would you, would you cause my heart to burn from your word? We want to minister from an overflowing cup, not an empty cup, right? And I need that. We need that. You need that to minister to one another. And so we learned this morning that fellowshipping with Christ and his word will turn our gloomy conversations legitimately into glorious celebrations didn't our heart burn god touched my heart praise the lord and you know what from that we will effortlessly and i do mean effortlessly impact the faith of others you know sometimes we we think well i gotta do this i gotta minister i gotta teach but you know if i am overflowing from my heart it's not hard to impact other people with the faith that god has blessed me with and the uh, and the faith that he's encouraged me with it's not hard it comes off naturally it comes off effortlessly because it's God overflowing from us. 
It's his word overflowing from us. It's a, the touch of the Lord Jesus in our lives. I want you to turn over to 1 John chapter number 1 and verse number 1 as we finish this morning. Find yourself gloomy? You need a fellowship with Jesus. Read until your heart burns. 1 John chapter number 1 and verse number 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 1. Of the word of life. And remember, this is the Apostle John, the one whom Jesus loved, the same one that God used to write the Gospel of John. And he's writing to you and I. He says, listen, I've seen him. I've shaken hands with him. He's hugged me. We've, we have walked with him. And this one, the word of life, we're communicating to you. Verse number two. For the life was manifest, it was revealed, and we have seen it. And we bear witness and show unto you that eternal life, that eternal life, which is Jesus, which was with the Father and was manifest unto us. He was shown to us. We, we saw him. Verse number three. That which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us. Why do we want to declare it to you? We want you to know the same thing. We want you to have partnership in this. We want you to share together with us in this wonderful, wonderful Lord that we have, Jesus Christ. Now look at verse number three again. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and notice, and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And with his Son, Jesus Christ. John says, I'm writing these things so that you can have fellowship with Jesus. I'm writing this this word, I'm writing 1 John, and ultimately the whole Bible is intended for this. I'm writing this so you can have fellowship with Jesus Christ. And I want you to notice verse number four because it's extremely important. And these things we write unto you that your joy may be full. Let's say that verse four together. And these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. Do you know the answer to the gloominess that comes and washes over us? Is fellowship with the Savior. You say, oh, it's just, that's the typical thing I'd expect coming to church. Just read the Bible more, read the Bible more, read the Bible more. Listen, Jesus actually told his disciples, oh, fools and slow of heart to believe. I've already written it in the word. You do not have to exist in this gloominess. I've already told you it's right here. This is the answer. Jesus himself said this is the answer. And then over and over, I me, pastor, goes through life struggling and gloomy and, and struggling, and you do the same thing because we fail to get into the Word of God and allow God to burn our hearts and to overflow our hearts with His truth, His realities that are sometimes difficult and go against our human nature to believe. And the fact is, if statistics prove, many times in a, in a gathering like this, we haven't given God's Word the attention that we need to. We haven't believed it like we ought to. Even in this past week. How many of you are like, like me? You know, sometimes time rushes. It seems like it was just Sunday. And we're back here. And one day flows into the next. And we're like, well, I'm going to spend some more time with Jesus here. But you know what? I, I, I imagine if we were really, really honest, the amount of time that we gave to meet with Jesus is probably not what it needed to be. 
And that isn't said to make you feel bad. It's the reality. We exist in gloominess. We exist overcome by everything that's going on in the world around us. Not because of all those things, but because we haven't believed. We are slow of heart to believe. We are slow of heart to get in here. And I think for me, it's, Lord, forgive me for not spending the time with you that I need to. But, Lord, help me to make a purposeful choice to be in a place where you can fellowship with me. And I think it's said like this in the Psalms. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. Are you overcome with gloominess? You say, well, I'm not going to show it on my face. You have a gloomy heart? Let's, let's let Jesus take us through the same thing that he took these disciples through. And I think we'll, we'll as well, we'll as well uh, be able to have a glorious celebration as Jesus reignites our heart with his truth. And let's ask Jesus to help us with that this morning. Would you bow with me? Thank you for listening today. For more information about Grace Baptist Church, please visit our website at gracebaptistofkettering.org. And remember, you are always welcome at Grace Baptist Church.